Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Lord, this morning, we want to stay in your presence. So I ask, Father, that you would enable us to be sensitive to you and what you're doing. The last thing we want is to hear some man speak out of his mind. We really want to hear from your spirit. So God, we ask that you would anoint me to deliver your word. God, I ask that you give us listening ears, ears that are open to the voice of your spirit. God, help us to have hearts that are fully committed to you. Your word says that you show yourself strong on behalf of those who are fully committed to you. So help us to be there, Lord. Are there any chains in our lives that need to be broken so that we can be there? God, we ask that we would let you do what you want to do. You're more than able. You're eager to set your people free. This morning, I want to review just very briefly what we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. I started off with a message called Living in the Abundance of God's Kingdom. The whole concept behind that is that God owns everything in the world. He controls it all. He is the king, but he's also our dad. And our dad loves us so much that he wants to give us richly all things to enjoy. So there's an abundance in the kingdom. We can come to King Jesus, Father God, our daddy, and ask for whatever we need. The next week I was teaching about God's purpose for prosperity. And I shared several verses with you about God's desire to prosper us, to give us an abundance, to give us more than we need. But when he does that, it's not strictly for our benefit. God doesn't want us to consume these things upon our own lusts and just do whatever we want and continue the American self-centered, selfish lifestyle. But God's purpose for prosperity is that we be generous. In fact, the Proverbs teach us pretty clearly that the generous man will prosper. But the stingy man, the covetous man, the selfish person, will not experience the prosperity of God. That may not keep you from getting rich, but as we talked about, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, but he adds no sorrow to it. I don't have to go through multiple divorces because I've got my wives arguing over my money and wanting my money and wanting my stuff. I don't have to go through all that hell on earth because I live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And under the lordship of Jesus, living for the glory of God, 
I can experience the riches of God. I can experience the riches of God, but have the peace of God, the shalom, the blessing of God. Now in this third week, I want to talk to you about a principle that Jesus introduces in Luke chapter 16. And let me just try to share the principle first, and then we'll look at the scripture. What we do in the natural realm affects the spiritual realm. Jesus put it this way, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Now what Jesus is saying here is, if you are faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, he will, you know, I will entrust two riches to you. But if you're unfaithful, I can't give them to you. It's kind of like a good dad and his kids. That's exactly what it's like, because he is our good dad. He's the best dad we could possibly have, amen? He's not going to give us something that's going to end up hurting us. He's not going to let us have things that detract us, distract our attention from him. You see, we talked first week about the provision of God relying upon our trust in God. And if our trust shifts from the living God to our income, or our bank account, or our 401k, or whatever it might be in the financial realm, that's not a good thing. Now, for some people, their trust might tend to shift at, I'm sorry, do I need to allow the kids to leave? <laughs> okay. Um, now, where was I? Okay, some people, that, that trust may shift at a level of, who knows, $5,000. Other people might be able to keep their focus on God and be trusted more and be given more, maybe millions of dollars, because God has given them the grace and the anointing to live with wealth for his purposes. So, the little things do matter to God. God looks at the little things to determine whether or not we can be trusted with more. But when he sees that we can be, he's eager to give. He knows that if he can trust us in the way we use money, he can entrust true riches to us. Now, what are true riches? More money? No, I don't think so. So what is included in true riches? Well, we were just experiencing part of it. The tangible presence of God. The revelation of the Holy Spirit to know God better. The Holy Spirit empowering us to do what is impossible for a natural human being, such as healing the sick and setting people free from the devil's oppression, resulting in making a significant impact in people's lives. See, we're not here just to have a church service. This is to be a place of equipping all of us 
so we can go out of these doors and have an impact in this town. We want to change the culture of Cheyenne. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but Jesus gave a commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, Jesus, obviously, really wants that to happen. He shed his blood so it could. He paid the price. The question is, will we? And the price may mean for us laying down our lives. But more uh, relevant to today's topic, it means using the money that God entrusts to us to fulfill the Great Commission. In verse 12 of Luke 16, are those up on the screen? Or? Um, in Luke 16, 12, Jesus said, um, if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Now, we need to remember that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So everything in the world is his. Paul wrote, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I am not mine. You see, this goes back to the question of lordship. If Jesus is my Lord, I don't decide what I should do. I ask him what he wants done. It's not my will that's important. My will is to choose his will. That's lordship. Jesus redeemed us from the enemy of our souls with his precious blood. That was the price he paid that we were bought at a price by. Okay? So, we ourselves are not our own. Nothing that we, quote, possess is really ours. It's his. And he's made us his stewards or managers of everything that we have. You know, I've been reading Genesis, and it just comes to mind. I'll throw it out there. Here's this 17-year-old kid taken into captivity in Egypt. And God puts him in Potiphar's house. Potiphar is a pretty high-ranking official in the Egyptian government, a wealthy person. But Joseph is in charge of all of his household. When Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph, Joseph says to her, my master has given me everything in his house. He doesn't even worry about anything except what he eats. The only thing he's withheld from me is you, because you're his wife. And Joseph made it very clear, I want no part of you. Later on, Joseph became, we could say, the prime minister, the second in charge of Egypt, fulfilling the childhood dreams that he had years before, where his brothers would come to him and bow down to him, and even his father and mother would come. So when Jesus asked the question, if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? That includes 
everything we consider to be ours. Now, in Malachi chapter 3, we're going to see this principle of the natural affecting the spiritual again. Let's read through the passage in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Excuse me. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I used to think that tithing was part of the Old Testament law until I realized the first mention of tithing actually occurred 500 plus years before the law was given. Abraham had an encounter with four kings who had taken his nephew captive and his family and taken off all their goods and Sodom and Gomorrah and a couple of towns, cities were defeated by these kings. So Abraham takes 318 men who were armed and trained in his house, and he goes after four kings. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us how many kings or how many people were in those armies. But I can't imagine a king having a small army. Can you? 25 people? I don't think so. So there may have been, I don't know. We don't know that, so it's speculation. But it could have been thousands. But 318 men, nonetheless, defeated all of them. So when Abraham comes back from that military victory, and he's taken possession of all of their spoils, he comes back home and he's, he sees Melchizedek. And Hebrews chapter 7 um, summarizes that in the first three verses there. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part, that's what the phrase tithe means, a tenth part, of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest Continually. Now, why did Abraham tithe to Melchizedek? The law hadn't been given yet, so he wasn't doing it in response to the law. I believe Melchizedek was a type of the Lord Jesus. Okay? Melchizedek had no father, no mother. He was without genealogy. He had neither beginning of days nor end of days but he was made like the Son of God. So this was an act of faith on Abraham's part, not obedience to the law. But when Moses received the law over 500 years later, God put his stamp of approval on what Abraham had done by making tithing a part of the law. Now in case... You want to approach it from a different perspective. I'm going to quote to you from Dr. Bill Hammond, who says, One divine principle in biblical interpretation is that whatever was established in the Old Testament remains proper as a principle or practice unless the New Testament does away with it. For instance, tithing was established in the Old Testament, but since nothing is stated in the New Testament that abolishes it, then it is still a proper practice for Christians. Beyond that, Jesus himself, in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, is talking to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and he's actually rebuking them. Listen to what he says. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, oil, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So Jesus is saying, it's great that you're tithing, but why do you major on minors? You get all hung up about these little tiny amounts of tithe. Presumably that wasn't the bulk of their tithing, we would hope. You get all hung up about the technicalities and you miss the main point. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So he says, you should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, and, faith, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former, the tithing. So it is appropriate to tithe, Jesus is saying. But don't have a bad attitude about it. You see, they seem to think that their tithing was somehow earning them favor with God. The proper attitude for tithing is love for God and desire to honor him by our obedience. That's what it's all about. Now let's go back and look at Malachi 3 a little more systematically, uh, beginning with verse 8 and 9. I'm going to read those again. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, as I mentioned before, the word tithe means a tenth part or 10% of our incomes. And then offerings are given above the tithe. And we'll look more closely at, at offerings here in a few minutes. But Okay, the tithe belongs to the Lord. If it didn't, we wouldn't be robbing him if we didn't give it to him, would we? Does that make sense to you? The tithe belongs to God. It's not mine. So when I get my paycheck every week, or not every week, every other week, I figure out 10%, and the rest of that, I mean, that goes to the church. That goes to God. Um, Jesus said, I'm sorry, Malachi said in verse 10, the Lord tells us that we are to bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Now the storehouse is the local church you get your spiritual food from. The tithe is given to support those who are leading, feeding, and equipping you. In the Old Testament, tithes went to the Levites. We see that in Numbers 18.21. Um, there it says, Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. In the New Testament, a portion of the tithes given to the local church go to pay the salaries of the staff. Again, quoting Leviticus or Numbers 18.21, in return for the work which they perform. In the New Testament, Paul teaches in three different places. We're going to look at two of them. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. It says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. I once heard it taught, and I, I meant to study this word honor a bit more. But verse 17 could be interpreted to say, those who labor in the word and doctrine, or I'm sorry, I'm quoting the King James there, uh, work hard at preaching and teaching, are worth twice as much income as the rest of us. Now, some of you might have a, a problem with that interpretation. But, tell you what, if a man of God can counsel you and help you avoid divorce, if he can pray for you and see you get healed, 
if he can help you get free from demonic oppression, if he can help you with dealing with your kids and avoid the heartache of seeing your kids go into jail and whatever else, believe me, I've seen plenty of that. That's worth a lot. That's worth a whole lot. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, Paul said, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Now, 1 Corinthians 9 gives a longer teaching on that subject. We're not going to go into that today. I don't really have time. But suffice it to say that when we tithe, it is a test of our trust. First of all, in God, because we kind of think, well, boy, the bills are pretty stacked up high this month, and how am I going to get them all paid? Now, believe me, I've been there. I know what that feels like. Thankfully, right now, our income exceeds our expenses, and I'm grateful. But tithing is a test of our trust in the living God who gives us virtually all things to enjoy. But it also tests our confidence, our trust in our spiritual leadership, which I've just been reading about. Uh, did we get that financial statement ready yet? Okay, is it out? Sure, I should have talked about this with Jay before, but apparently out in the, audit, or in the interway, there's a financial statement available for you today to pick up and look at. Because we want you to know how the money that you give is used. So we're giving that to you so you can see that for yourself and determine whether or not we're trustworthy and you can trust us, okay? So, but when you tithe, it's a test of your trust in the leadership of your local church as well as of, of God. Now, Malachi said that we should bring all the tithes into the storehouse. If the storehouse is the local church, what do we do then about missionaries and ministries that are outside the local church? That's where we get back to verse 8, where Paul talks, or sorry, until <laughs> I'm a New Testament guy. Malachi teaches about offerings. An offering, again, is anything over 10%, and you can give an offering. See, the tithe belongs to God. God says, bring it to the storehouse. Bring it to the local church. That's where it belongs. But the offering, you can give where you want to, where you have a desire to support, where you have a passion for that, or a vision to see something accomplished. For example, my wife and I give to three different missionaries every month. Not a large amounts, but we give every month to some missionaries. And we know these guys and gals personally. In most cases, yeah, I think all three cases, they've been in our home. They've been in the church we attended. We correspond with them. Not just emails, not just their newsletters necessarily, but oftentimes we've had personal communication with them. So we know these people, we trust them, we know they are bearing good fruit. It's good soil for us to sow into. In addition to that, we also give every month to Life Choice Pregnancy Care Center. We've done that pretty much as long as we've lived in Cheyenne and for several decades prior to that, we gave to the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Greeley because we care about this issue of life. So the offerings are to be given above and beyond the tithe. Um, all right. Let's go back to Malachi. And let's look at this phrase. Try me now in this. In the English Standard Version, it's translated, thereby put me to the test. God is inviting you to put him to the test. It's as if he's saying, go ahead. See if you're going to give more than I do. See if you can give me more than I give you. 
So we're encouraged to step into this because of verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this. I'm sorry. I got lost in my notes. All right. I do want to read verse 10 again. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Here's the exciting thing, which goes back to what we read in Matthew 16, 11. There is a very clear link here between obedience with tithes and offerings and God opening the windows of heaven for us. What we do in the natural realm affects the spiritual realm. Obedience with our natural resources or money releases spiritual resources or true riches. Now the open windows of heaven are much like the treasures, I'm sorry, the true riches that Jesus mentioned in Luke 16, 11. The open windows of heaven include the release of the realm of God's reign and the outpouring of the Spirit upon his people. Remember the songs we were singing earlier today? That's what we want to see. Two weeks ago, I said that open hands of the heavens don't include money. But after further study, I realized I was wrong about that. It does include money. It's just that that's not the major emphasis. It's kind of like God wants you to prosper, but the money's not really the issue. In fact, I'll quote it here, 3 John 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in good health just as your soul prospers. See, the Apostle John wanted the people he was writing to to prosper financially, and he wanted them to be in good health. But more importantly, he wanted their souls to prosper, their inner man, because the inner reality determines the exterior reality. Bill Johnson uses the illustration that Jesus was once crossing a body of water and a storm comes up and his disciples get freaked out. I mean, these are experienced fishermen, but they're scared. So he gets up and he rebukes the wind, tells it, be still. So what does he do? His inner reality, he, see, he's in the kingdom. Jesus, I don't know that Jesus ever left the kingdom. Okay? He's the king, after all. His reality in the kingdom of God is there are no storms. So he says to the storm, stop. What are you doing? I'm here. I'm the king, and you don't get by with that here. His inner reality determined what was going to happen outside in the exterior world. Okay, open heaven also includes health, emotional strength, but more importantly, The thing I think we all really long for, an encounter with the living God, where the glory of God comes here, and it's so thick you almost can't move. God is so real that you can almost touch him. Your faith soars because God's here. When you're looking into his eyes, how can there be any unbelief? That's what we want. 
We want to experience the kingdom of God here and now. Let's go to verse 11. Malachi writes there, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Now there's something funny here. You see, you can either choose between giving your tithe to God and receiving the blessing of God that we've been looking at, or you can choose not to give the tithe, and you can lose your money to the devourer. Either way, you won't keep it. You won't keep that 10%. Robbing God of the tithe to the storehouse opens the door for the enemy to rob us. So when we rob God, the devil robs us. Okay, how does that happen? Your car breaks down. The washing machine breaks down. You've got to pay the repairman to fix it. Or at least go get parts. <laughs> you get sick. You have medical bills. You can't go to work, so you lose income. Or sick pay that you could have cashed in later. Your business unexplainedly slows down, and you lose income that you were expecting. How does the enemy do that? I don't know. But he's got ways of attacking his children that God doesn't really want to see happening. And he doesn't play fair. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if you open the door to the enemy, if you give him a foothold, he'll try to turn it into a stronghold. He'll try to pry that door open and drive a tank through it to attack you with. Okay? So just, you don't want to go there. One thing we need to realize is that because of God's provision and God's faithfulness, the 90% that he allows us to keep and use as we are led, that 90% will go further than if we tried to keep the whole 100%. Now, some people ask, should you tie on the net or the gross? Well, it seems like people are reluctant to answer that question because for years I looked for an answer to that question. And the best I could get out of anybody was, what size blessing do you want? The implication being, if you tie them in the gross, you're going to get more blessing. Okay? I can tell you from personal experience, there was a time in our lives when we didn't believe we had enough income, and it was tight, but I was operating in unbelief and disobedience. Um, we didn't believe we had enough income to tithe on the gross. We wanted to tithe, <laughs> but we didn't think we could do it on the gross. So we did tithe on the net. You know, and to a limited extent, God honored that. I don't think I personally ever really had peace about that. So I was delighted when we came to a place in our lives where we could easily tithe on the gross and give offerings above that. We needed to learn that our God is faithful. He will meet our needs. We didn't realize that if we would obey him, that God would provide all of our needs. See, we were operating in fear. Remember this. Fear is agreement with the devil. Faith is agreement with God. If I operate in fear, even that is opening the door to the enemy. And I'm allowing the devil to come in and steal from me 
what rightfully belongs to God and me. Now, I mentioned that we were struggling with our giving. Um, and I mentioned that offerings are to be given above the tithe. Where do you get money for offerings if your budget's tight? Let me uh, share with you another principle from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower, sorry if I'm jumping out of line there, Marty, but out of order. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He who supplies seed to the sower. Who would that be? Come on. God, right? He will provide seed for the sower and bread for the food. And he will multiply your seed for sowing. Now, when I looked at that, I realized, okay, a couple things. Bread refers to our current needs. Jesus said, that we should pray that God would provide our daily bread. So it refers to our current needs. And keep in mind too, as I said, I think last week, God is not running an orphanage where he's gonna guarantee you a bed and three meals a day and that's it. There's no, there's no other resources available. You Be glad you got that. It's not like that. Our daily bread is given to us to enjoy. We need to delight in the goodness and faithfulness of our Father. But the part that's relevant to offerings here, God wrote that he would supply seed to the sower. And Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. So if I ask the Father for seed because I want to sow into his kingdom, do you think he might want to give me some? You know, a picture I came to mind is kind of funny. It's kind of a silly illustration, but I've taken my kids to the zoo, you know, and they want to feed certain animals where it's allowed to do that. They, you know, have the little machines there with the food. And so what am I doing? I'm buying food for my kid to feed an animal. It's kind of like God saying, okay, son, here's, here's some seed. Go ahead. Go ahead, sow it somewhere. Okay? God's kind of like that. He wants us to have seed so we can sow it and we can get rewarded for it. Now, seed is given to us to invest for the future. Now we can either invest for eternity by giving into the kingdom of God, or we can invest for our earthly life. As far as eternity, there's a verse in, in Matthew 19, 21, I believe, where Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. The last couple of weeks, I think I've mentioned Matthew 6, 19 to 21, where it says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And how do you get treasures in heaven? By, according to Jesus here in this passage, giving to the poor. Now we can also, and this is something I haven't grown a lot in yet, but we can invest for our earthly life. Why would we do that? Well, you know, some people, their work is investing. That's how they make their money. I think of a guy like Dave Ramsey, 
I don't know how many millions of dollars that guy controls now, how much real estate he owns. But because he can do what he does with investing, he also has time to run the radio program where he helps people daily with their financial issues. Okay. You can invest your money for the here and now. But a caution that came to me as I was thinking about that is, Jesus warned about the deceitfulness of riches. And do you remember the man who his crops had come in, he just had so many crops he didn't know what to do with them. So he said, well, I'll tear down the barns I've got now and I'll build bigger ones. What was God's response to him? You fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. Why do we want to build an empire for ourselves? There are certain legitimate needs we have, okay? And God does want us to enjoy life. But I don't know why we need to amass fortunes. I can't remember the exact, I think it's Ecclesiastes 5.11 where Solomon said something like, wealth doesn't satisfy. If anybody ought to know, it was him. I mean, it just doesn't satisfy. Now, I want to back up a little bit. Um, talking about offerings. There are a couple of areas that I believe we should prayerfully consider for offerings, one of which is fulfilling the Great Commission. There are three ways that we can be involved in this Great Commission. One is to go ourselves, one is to send others, and one is to pray. Some of us are not probably not going to go. We're never going to leave Cheyenne, or at least the United States. Although there's value in going to South Dakota and helping on the reservation there, there there's value in missions trips within the country. But going is not something that all of us are going to do. But we can all be involved with sending and praying. When we send, however, I think we need to remember, you don't send an army into war, into battle, without providing what they need to fight the battle. Okay? So when we send somebody, that means we ought to consider supporting them financially as well as praying for them. Okay. Another area, the Proverbs, listen to these two Proverbs and I think you're going to see a theme here. Proverbs 19.17 says, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Proverbs 28.27 says, He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many curses. Keeping in mind what I've taught about generosity, it sounds to me like if you're generous to the poor, God's going to take care of you. And that would apply here and now on this earth. And then, of course, we've seen earlier Jesus saying, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Another passage that I had not given a lot of thought up to until recently, but Matthew 6 there are two, two times in three verses where Jesus says the same thing. 
Matthew 6, 2-4. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your hand know, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward, excuse me, will reward you. When you give to the needy. Not if, when. Same chapter, Jesus says something else I've not always liked. When you fast. You know, it's like, well, you couldn't have said if. When you give to the needy. So the clear teaching of Jesus is that there are times when we should give to the needy. Okay. Getting back to investment for just a minute. Um, in Matthew 25, we're not going to read it, but it's the parable of the talents. Remember the one guy got five talents, one guy got two, another one got one. In that parable, it can be applied to a lot of different areas of life. Okay? It's, but the topic that we're talking about today is money. And actually the talent was a sum of money, a large sum of money. 75 pounds is what a talent was. So if you have 75 talents, I mean 75 pounds of Silver, that's a lot of money. Of course, gold would be even more. So we're talking about money here. And Jesus is talking about these guys investing what he's given them so they can get a return, so that he can receive that when he comes back. Okay. So clearly Jesus wants us to get a good return on the investment. Keep in mind what I said last week. Money, in and of itself, is not evil. It can be a tool for good or a tool for evil, whichever, whoever is controlling that. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, but money itself can be something that God uses to bless other people. It can be something that he uses to extend his kingdom. So God intends that we use the money that he entrusts to us to bless those around us. Now one last principle from 2 Corinthians 9.10 where, where Paul talks about seed and bread. What happens if a farmer takes all of his seed and converts it to his own food. What's he going to plant next year? There's no crop. And if there's no crop, you don't eat. And you're done. <laughs> okay? So, we need to ask the Lord... See, if we eat our bread, we won't have as much seed or bread for our next crop. So we need to ask the Lord to show us what he wants us to use as bread and what he wants to, us to invest as seed. And then when he shows us what he wants us to invest as seed, I think it's good to say, okay, you know all things. Where? I want a good return on this, Lord. So should I give here or there? Should I invest in this stock? Well, maybe not in today's environment. My 401k said I lost money last quarter. Um, should I invest in this business? And see, God knows. These are good people. They're going to work hard. They're ethical. They're going to do a good job. I think about Jerry. You know, 
I trust him. I would invest in his business if I had money to invest. Okay? But where should I invest? God knows where you're going to get a good return. Now to wrap this up, I just want to conclude with this. Our Father has invited us to partner with him to bring his kingdom to every person in our city and every nation in the world. Obviously, it takes money to get that done. But we should be asking our Father, again, where do you want me to invest? Is this a good church to invest my tithe in? And I'm going to say something here. If you don't have peace about tithing to this church because you don't trust it, trust the leadership here, maybe you aren't in the right place. Maybe you don't know your leadership well enough. So, but there's an issue that needs to be resolved. Okay? If you can't tithe in good conscience and joyfully say, yes, God, I get to support the work of the kingdom, you need to work through that. You need to sort out why don't I have peace about this. Okay. Now, if it's an issue of you trusting God, well, you know what? Only one of you can change. And it's not him. <laughs> if you don't trust him, you need to go and say, okay, God, what's going on? I mean, they, obviously I should trust you. But why, you know, why am I struggling with this? And God may want to bring healing to you. So there's, there's the issue of trust that needs to be resolved, both toward God and toward your local church. But then, beyond that, again, we talked about this before, God, where do you want me to sow? As we're obedient to bring our tithes and offerings, tithes into the storehouse and give offerings as he leads us to, he will, he will open for us the windows of heaven and pour out for us such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. He is a faithful, generous, loving God. And he will give us all we need and prosper us if we're obedient. I almost don't want to ask if there are any questions. <laughs> um, if you do have any questions, I'll be glad to talk to you later on. Um, but I just want to pray for you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would enable us by your grace to know you as a loving, faithful God to whom we can give our lives as well as our money. God, we trust you. God, I ask for this, this body of believers that you would enable us to walk in faith, not fear. That you would enable us to walk in obedience because I believe you want to bless this body. Father, I pray that you would give us your wisdom so that we can receive all that you have for us. 
He taught us in Proverbs that if we seek wisdom, we'll get wealth. So Father, I pray that every family in this church could step into greater financial prosperity. And that over time, we could see every family in this building living in their own home, completely out of debt, having the joy of the Lord and being able to give generously for your glory. Father, we ask that the work of your kingdom would be strengthened through this church, whether it's the work of this local body or the missionaries we support or those that we support individually. God, we ask that you would cause your kingdom to come that the work of your kingdom would go forth in great power. In Jesus' name. Amen.